Hi, everybody. Welcome to another menopause.com podcast. Today, we're talking with John Lindstrom, a four-time Emmy-nominated actor in shows like True Detective, Homeland, and Bull. He's also a 40-year veteran of the daytime TV show General Hospital, playing the characters Dr. Kevin Collins and Dr. Ryan Chamberlain. And with all that, he's actually written his first novel. I mean, that's everybody's dream, right? To write the great American novel. And he, But he actually did it. It's a thriller called Hollywood Hustle about a has-been film star, which he's not, whose daughter is kidnapped for ransom. And with the help of his best friend and a retired cop and a ticking clock, he has to try to rescue her. So it's really, really good. This is what it looks like. It's it's out on Amazon. So welcome, John. Let's talk about your book. Hey, let's do that. But first, I must correct one thing. Just It's just an age-appropriate thing. Um, I've been on General Hospital for now 31 years. Not 31 four. years. Okay. Yeah, yeah just husband. over half their existence on television, <laughs> which is long enough. Serious. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 at that point, it's like, who cares, right? I mean, uh, yeah. I quit counting a long time ago. But <laughs> <laughs> so when somebody says 40, I'll go, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because actually on IMDb Pro, it has you starting in 1983. So, uh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, wow. No, I didn't start General Hospital till 1992. Yeah. But let's let's talk about books. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's start with your first novel, uh, which, like I said, is going to be is available on Amazon.com. And I I read it over the span of two days, and it's a it's a real page turner. It's one of those kind of books Thank that. You that you're staying up till two in the morning realizing, shoot, I got to get to work. So let me put it down for now. Um, <laughs> uh, the idea is really interesting. Tell us how, first of all, how you came up with the idea and why you decided to go ahead and and uh, write a book like this. Boy, uh, how I came up with the idea. I really had no idea when I sat down. Um, I... I, I have always written. I've written screenplays. I've had a couple of those produced, uh, even directed one of those. I got involved in filmmaking and screenwriting pretty heavily for several years. And but every morning I would find myself just wanting to noodle at the at the computer keyboard and and see what I could come up with. And it was really nothing more than what I guess in the in the writer's world they would call a prompt that i gave myself usually a prompt is what you give a class or something you know what if this and that's all i did i i thought okay here's this guy uh an over-the-hill film star has been very successful has gotten his life steady and wakes up one morning and finds his little six-year-old granddaughter standing in his bedroom up in his mountain home in the mountains of southern california go and that's really all I did. And from there, I wrote the first scene, which led into the second scene. And I just tried to keep following the logical progression of what could happen um, while, while still trying to tell a story with a satisfied body count. <laughs> How long did it take you to write the book? Uh, that's another big question. Um, I had started actually a couple of years before the pandemic. And then I had to put it down for about a year and a half. I think I'd worked on it for about six months. 
um, had gotten pretty far through the first draft by then, um, having never written, written a book. It was kind of a slog. But um, I suddenly started playing very heavy rotation of twins on General Hospital. They brought a character back they thought was dead. And suddenly I had all these scenes where I was talking to myself and one guy pretending to be the other guy and the other one's locked up in a dungeon. And, you know, so suddenly I was just, I was frankly just working too much to be able to write. And then the mm -hmm. pandemic hit, I was able to pick it up during the pandemic. And then the soap operas were the first productions to start up during the pandemic, which I think just means that we're kind of expendable. <laughs> <laughs> but suddenly I had to pick up right where I left off and suddenly, and I had this very heavy storyline again. So I had to put it down again after six months of pandemic. Then the, the storyline finally finished up and I was be, I was able to get a breath and finish the book. So all in all, with rewrites going to my first uh, editor, who I worked very closely with, a guy named Nathaniel Marunas, who's just brilliant. Um, I guess all in all, from inception to submissible, submittable copy, probably two years, maybe two and a half. Oh, that, that's really good because most people, you know, they get writer's block. It could take years and years to finish something that they've started, but two years is very quick. Well, that's actually for my second book. <laughs> that one's taken <laughs> Well, and of course, they say writing is rewriting. I mean, that's anybody can write something, but then to make it good and make it tight and meaningful and all that. And that's the thing about this book. Uh, we've talked about this before, that there are, there are a lot of people from Hollywood that write books, not just how to get into Hollywood or how to do this or how to do that, but fiction books like this. And what I really loved about it is that because it's a thriller, you don't want long drown out paragraphs and chapters that really slow your mind down. This one, there's lots and lots of sort of short chapters, almost like you're watching a movie. So it's like, here's this scene, then here, boom, boom. And that I think is what contributes to the fact that you can't put it down because it's like, oh, okay, well, they're short. I'll read one more. And the next thing is one more, you know? Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, it's like Pringles. You can't just eat one, right? So- uh, <laughs> That's what we shoot for anyway. And and to be honest, I, I didn't really grasp that the first for the first draft. And when I had sent it out to a couple of friends, um, one of whom was a, a sensational novelist that uh, has been around forever named Castle Freeman Jr. He lives up in Vermont. I had actually tried to option a novel of his for a movie. It eventually got optioned. It was optioned by somebody else and they made it with Anthony Hopkins actually. But um I developed a friendship with him through that communication. And when I got through, I asked him, Castle, could you read my manuscript? And he said, of course. And I sent it to him formatted completely wrong. And it was 400 pages. And he, <laughs> he got it and he said, you know, Castle's like 80. He goes, John, I can't read 400 pages. So I said, okay, well, let me, let me take another look at it. Fortunately, I got it formatted correctly. And that cut over a hundred pages off of it. And then I started working with Nathaniel, the editor. And what was almost a hundred thousand words, he helped me whittle it down to about 70,000 words. That's how much fat was on the story that I didn't realize. 
you know, I thought all these subplots were interesting and little things and too many descriptions of L.A. and what it's like to live here and all that. Um, and he really said, you know, I don't think you need to describe the taste of the water coming out of the faucet. <laughs> really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think you can probably cut that, you know. <laughs> so um, it was, a, you know, it was its own kind of um, writing exercise, learning how to edit correctly yeah. and keep it keep it, you know, to get it to that place where it's interesting enough to keep you turning the pages. Well, and the, the, the difference also with a novel like this uh, that I've noticed because I'm in a writer's group with guy, people that write mostly novels and I, I like to write screenplays, is it's hard for me, and that's what I was so impressed with here, you have to add the texturing that you did you know, about the light, the way it shines through certain trees or what the haze looks like as you're coming over the mountain and stuff. You have to do that. You don't have to do that in a screenplay because all you got to, the, the director and the cinematographer are going to do that for you, right? So I was, yeah. it, it does add to the flavor. But let me just, I, when you said that name, Castle Freeman, uh, his book was called Go With Me. Yes, that's the book. Yes. yes. That movie. Our friends at Enderby Entertainment made the movie and called it Black Ray Liotta. Black, right. yeah, Blackway. Yeah. And Ray, Ray, yeah. 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 So again, small world here, huh? They got it to they got to it before I did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the, 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 I, I the I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, I'm, I love the character, the characters that you've chosen for this because especially oh. the relationship between Winston and his granddaughter. That is special. I have a granddaughter, so I know what that means, right? And I and it's great because you are really going to pay attention to that, uh, especially Thank if you. it becomes oh, a movie. I can really see that taking off that relationship, and the yeah. danger and the danger I'm, aspect of her life being at risk, right. and the grandfather, you know, trying to protect that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really well done, and and we can't recommend it enough. If you want a great uh, read when you go on vacation, if you're flying on an airplane, if you need something to read to keep on your nightstand, uh, it's really, it's a fun book. Uh, I think it, it'll make a great movie one day. Um, and uh, yeah, go out and buy it. It's 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 really good. Thank uh, you. Thanks so much. Hey, John, when you wrote this, did you have, uh, it, you know, hopefully they make a movie about it. Would you feel like your the star of it i mean would you would you like to be part of that <laughs> you know i'd like to be part of the process of getting it to screen but mm -hmm. you know as we all know uh there are i have fans who ask me you know are you going to play the lead in the movie and you know the short answer is no one <laughs> i don't have blue eyes and i and i specifically described him as reminiscent of steve mcqueen and kevin costner and so there's some right. some actors you know in their late 50s who fit that bill who are much much bigger names and it's such an expensive proposition to make a movie we need somebody like that but mm -hmm. i would like to be part of the process as it moves forward and there's some discussions going on but we'll see so it's great could you know, I play it? Yes, I could, but no, I don't think I'm going yeah. to. <laughs> you obviously wrote it, uh, you know, from your character perspective, right? In other words, you're not you're not a, a has been, but you wrote it from the point of view of somebody who worked in Hollywood, had success, and and was getting older, and maybe not getting the same 
quality quantity of roles. And that's actually a topic that Mike and I want to delve into with you okay. is, is, is finding out of how you got started in acting and how over the years that has evolved in terms of the characters that you are uh, offered and what you do to kind of reinvent yourself in, in Hollywood. Wow. Um, well, I mean, you know, I got into, I seem to do everything the old fashioned way. You know, I go old school with everything. Uh, the saying is still, I think true that it takes on average seven years to break into Hollywood. It took me exactly seven years to break in. I moved down from Oregon in a pickup truck. I got an apartment off of Hollywood Boulevard. Much of what I describe of that ex existence I used in Hollywood hustle. I used to work at a garage out in out in the valley and i still have nightmares about the break jobs that i might have performed back <laughs> and you know and flirt with the girl at this at the fast food restaurant drive-thru window because she was cute and the i could only afford a you know a dollar 25 burger at the time so um after seven years i got my first gig it wasn't my first gig, but it was the first steady gig that got me out of the restaurant business, what I call the service industry. <laughs> and I, again, I'd been, I had waited tables. I worked, I worked as a mechanic. I worked as a janitor. I worked as a ticket taker at the old, um, before they put a roof on the Universal Amphitheater at Universal Studios. Uh, I, you know, I did everything I had to do to keep working. I, I, and then I started bussing tables and then bartending and waiting tables, which really was the best way to make a living in that kind of work. You work at night, you have your days free. And if you don't get lost in the abyss of self-indulgence, which Winston did, um, then you'll wake up fresh in the morning and be able to go on an audition. <laughs> you know, that wasn't always the case for me. I did wake up with a hangover one too many times and say, you know, I got to get my shit together here. Um, and it wasn't until I really said that, that things really started to happen for me. Uh, it's very easy to come to LA and just see the beach and the babes and the beer and just cut loose and have a great time. Um, but after seven years of plugging away, I got my first, really, it was my first uh, TV series, which was a syndicated soap opera called Rituals. Oh yeah. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I worked with Monty Markham on it and uh, I replaced wow. somebody who had been fired. Um, somebody who I guess just behaved badly on set. So they fired him six months into the run. The show only lasted a year. It was the very first syndicated drama. After that, there was a plethora of them, but this one, what kind of broke the mold. And I, Got the call at the restaurant I was working at because I had my last audition. Then I had to go to bartend and I was working at Morton's at the time, which was a big kind of celebrity hangout. And I got the call on the phone booth next to the men's room. That's where the agents would call their clients because, <laughs> you know, we weren't getting email or nobody had cell phones. So I get the call. You got it. And I let out this big rebel yell that you could hear all the way through the dining room. Like, oh my God, John, you okay? Oh yeah, I'm good. <laughs> See you, Don't worry sir. about it. 
The only drag is I got to start tomorrow. So <laughs> tonight's my last night, which pissed a lot of people off, but they understood. It, you know, it's your break. Sure. So I started the next day and they had just made some changes. I'll always regret this. They had just made some changes in the cast. Not only did they fire the guy that I replaced, but Tina Louise Ooh. had been on the show, Ginger from Gilligan's yeah, Island. Right. And George Lazenby had been on the show. He was a James Bond guy. He was a James Bond. And I'll tell you, that Honor Majesty Secret Service, I think that's one of the best Bond movies ever mm -hmm. made. And he did a great job. And um, and they left the day before I started. <laughs> I didn't even get to meet them. <laughs> I did meet Sean Connery, which was a different story. But um, I started the show and I just sucked. I mean, I was terrible. <laughs> Sounds like me. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but I got through the first week. And at the end of the week after that, I went to, I went back to Morton's on a Friday night. I had shot that day and I wanted to celebrate. It's Friday. I'm going to have a sit at the bar and I'm going to see my friends that I worked with. And I'm going to celebrate this, this new chapter in my life and my dream come true finally. And I'm sitting there having a beer and I look and at the table right next to the bar is a big round table and all the producers of my show are at that table and they're discussing firing me. Oh, no way. I found this out later. That's how bad I was. But at that table, now all these people had come out from New York, I think from all my children, there was an actress at the on the show who was at the table with them who had come West with everybody. And it was her. Her name is Andrea Moore. She's since passed away uh, mm. tragically. But she sat there and listened to them and said, what are you people talking about? We all know how hard this particular medium is. It's unlike anything else. We all brag about how hard it is. And nobody is stepping up to show him how to do it like you did for me and everybody else. And they went, you know what? You're right. We're just panicking. And that Monday, the executive producer, a guy named Jorn Winther, who passed away last year, I owe him a lot. He uh, he pulled me aside at the dry block early in the morning. He said, frankly, you're really bad. and But we think you have talent. It's just because <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. So we're going to show you. Right, right, By right. the end of that next week, they had decided to keep me. And that's what I had decided. Now I'm... Now I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it in Hollywood. I got over that first big hump and I did it without getting fired. I'll bet, you passed, everybody. That, I'll bet you passed that knowledge on to other actors that you knew were new that came tried, onto the set. Right? I tried. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's uh, and I try to do it pretty much anywhere. Um, and, and I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be able to say, listen, just, all you have to do is just stand a certain way with, you know, in the cameras on this side or that side, turn your head a little bit. One thing I tell a lot of young actors is to seek out acting on film with Michael Caine, which is the greatest primer for anybody who wants to work in films anywhere. But especially if you want to, if you want to come to Hollywood acting on film. And he gives a lesson with some students from the Royal Academy or something. He shows them with by demonstrating 
how to be an actor on film. And it's the most invaluable tool I've ever seen. Interesting. Wow. So, so your career took off from there. Um, one of the things that, that we've encountered with other actors that we've uh, interviewed, and none of them, by the way, are that top 0.01% of million dollar earners, right? Most of them are hardworking actors like you. There, there's this misconception that, you know, that an actor like you that appears on this show or that show, that you're freaking loaded and you've got money stuffed in your closet you don't know what to do with and stuff which kind of is like the characters in your book right yeah. uh, i think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is not just to maintain a job but get another job even if you've been successful on you know some other some other show and i would imagine you know that uh, that gets harder as you get older it does yeah, yeah, I mean, quite frankly, it does. Ageism is a real thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had a I had a distant cousin. The only person I knew in Hollywood when I came here, and I didn't even know him yet, was uh, my cousin Donfeld, who was a four-time Oscar-nominated uh, costume designer. Hmm. He did Fritzy's Honor and, and Days of Wine and Roses. And, you know, he goes, he goes back to the studio system. Frank Sinatra got him started uh, in, in the business. But... Um, he his professional life ended long before it should have simply because he got aged out and he was somebody who had dressed everyone and done it everywhere um so at least i had a little bit of warning <laughs> that yes this can actually happen and and i have noticed it especially well i would say over the last 10 years specifically not only have the jobs thinned out the opportunities have thinned out um, there was also an insistence that we weren't going to pay you for your expertise. Uh, and it, of course, we just had two, you know, big strikes to, to rectify that. And I think it has been rectified to some degree, but even as soon as 2015, um, I remember dealing with, uh, one of the, um, I won't say which one, but it was one of the, you know, the premium outlets and I was getting ready to do a job for them. And their attitude was, hey, we're so-and-so, you should pay us. We're not going to pay you. We want you to bring your A game. We want you to bring your 30 plus years of experience to bear on the first take because we don't want to shoot a second take. Nobody does anymore. Um, but we're going to pay you like you just stepped off the bus yesterday. That's wrong. That's just plain wrong. Especially when you see, you know, all the private jets and the $50 million bonuses going around. Right. right. Well, I don't mind know, that out loud. Yeah. You, you, let, let, let's, let's go back for a second. So you're a break specialist in the San Fernando Valley. Then you go to bartending. Yeah. You know, you're a service provider. Um, <laughs> one for you, two for me. Okay. So you're, you're doing the Morton's thing. And then you're inspired because you're a, you're a, you're an actor ready to make their, their mark. And then you hit the mark and mm -hmm. you're running and then you decide, wow, you know, uh, I'm getting out of soaps and I'm going into prime time and I'm doing the other types of work, true detective and, and Bosch and some of these other big, big shows. And then you write a script and it's going to be big. I'm, I guarantee you, because if I like it and I can read it, 
We're good. So I know you're going to do well on this one. Uh, but then the, you're back on, on General Hospital. Where are you going to go from here? I mean, what do you do? Is it is it a toss up between, well, I, I can stay with this because it's a nice living and, and, and I'm recognized in the in the business and working as an actor? Or where does it go from here? Wow. Because um, it's a menopause question. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Right? And I think yeah. it's, you know, it's one of the, one of the reasons I think you guys are doing the right thing here because, uh, because I think we need to talk to each other about it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think we do any ourselves any favors by staying sedentary and just kind of easing into old age. I don't think that serves anyone, let alone ourselves. Um, you know, sitting down and keeping my brain going with something like this. And I, I'm not kidding. I am working on book two and I have book three planned. Um, but I think it's really important to, 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 to kind of reassess, you know, who you are, what you have to offer, where that can fit in and see if you can put it to use somewhere. You know, General Hospital has just been so good to me over the years. You know, I've been there off and on for 32 years i've left for you know a decade at a time and then come back and they've just welcomed me for some reason but mm. uh it's a it's a great place to be able to go and ply my craft and and make some money even though it's not really living wage um given the the amount of shows that i do now um but it keeps me it keeps me greased up so on the off chance, something comes along that I am right for that's outside of that medium, I'm ready for it. And I can, you know, I don't have to just kind of crank all the rust out and, and get myself, you know, psyched up for it. I'm ready to go. And I think that's important too. I, it's the same as we need to, we need to exercise. As older guys, we need to exercise, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. For me, the new thing is yoga. I mean, just being able to stretch the old muscles out is a restorative thing for me. And I feel it take the years off. And that helps me keep my energy up and be engaged with whatever comes along. Now, do I go out as often as I used to? No, I don't. And I'm really hoping for some good football on the flat screen up there today. I'm not <laughs> going anywhere. You know, uh, today is playoff day, I think. And, uh, but gosh, because the opportunities thin out, it makes it a little harder for us to kind of decide, you know, what opportunity is right for me. So it might be more about us making our own opportunity. Again, if you have the desire to sit down and do something like that or write a screenplay or, you know, get out your, your phone and, and make a little movie, just do something. Do something to keep you in the world. You know, lately, I my publishers asked me if I would join TikTok. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why, but- It's a commitment. I, it's a commitment. And um, yeah. you know, I certainly don't make what other people make on TikTok, but it has opened my eyes to what's kind of going out there in the pop culture instant because I wouldn't even call it a pop culture moment. It's kind of a pop culture instant. And that's the world we live in. And that's something we need to be aware of too. Mm -hmm. 
you know, having said all that, I do think that there's just real value in digging into what you do best and what you like to do best and showing and, people how and it's related, done. related thing. I mean, you know, that's why they have mentorship programs and stuff. I mean, Mike, mm -hmm. when he retires, could theoretically be a business mentor or have some, you know, construction stuff. You know, I can still do some healthcare and writing and all that. I think, you know, people need to look at what what's your skill set combined with what's your passion. So like you, for instance, couldn't become a structural engineer unless you went to school again. You couldn't just say, hey, I'm going to, you know, it has to be within your wheelhouse. But most of us, no matter what your job is, we have a certain set of skills. I have a mm -hmm. certain set of skills that um, that we can that we Very can <laughs> that we can then use and try and find some other things that are going to keep us active and passionate about about the next steps that we're that we're taking, and that's why yeah, and, and grateful and grateful. One of the things that I do do, um, uh, I'm involved with a with a not for profit called Kids in the Spotlight. Um, I'm a foster dad. My foster son is turning forty uh, wow. in February this month. Wow. Uh, yeah, we've been together since he was nine. Um, but one of the organizations that I was invited to be a part of because of my background is Kids in the Spotlight, which mentors young at-risk foster youth who have kind of reached the end of the foster system. In other words, there's no more private homes I want to put up with these kids. Right. They're directed to tell their stories through film. And so they're mentored through a screenwriting process. And then we take those scripts and we actually have them audition. And we rewrite their scripts with them according to production needs. And I'll go and I'll direct or produce one of these short films from those screenplays. Wow. And it, it's a great program, you know, if you ever want to put that up, kidsinthespotlight.org. Mm -hmm. Um uh, I'll probably shoot up. I think I'll be shooting one this summer. Um, and they're usually only anywhere from five to 10 minutes long. Um, but the, the experience of working with these kids who want, despite all the trouble that they've come from, they want to be mentored. They want to be guided. They want to be taught something useful and valuable. And I, you know, to me, it's some of the it's it's some of the greatest gratification and satisfaction I've ever I've had throughout my entire career is to go and work for nothing with these kids and make a film. Yeah. That's, wow, that's that sounds beautiful. I mean, I think that would be a great thing for Larry and I to come up and maybe be part of that with you just so You're we welcome can to film, film film it going on with you directing or mm -hmm. producing it and maybe interview uh, a couple of the kids, it would be great because we have a, be a section, we have a section called Mana Cause, and it's giving back. And I think this would be perfect for that. Great, let's let's plan on it. So sometime this yeah. summer, yeah. you guys yeah. bring your cameras and some mics, and we'll we'll make this happen. Awesome. So perfect. So I think you know it's the story's fascinating, and we could go on talking for hours. Uh, what we really want to emphasize in this is is the fact that that you haven't stopped, that you've gone from all these different uh, uh, parts of your life now into becoming a novelist, undoubtedly successful uh, with uh, Hollywood Hustle. 
Um, and so we, we always like to sort of finish up with uh, a few questions that we ask pretty much everybody, sort of okay. like what uh, uh, James Lipton did in the actor's studio, right? Uh, only ours are maybe a little bit more um, uh, insightful g given the age. Okay. Um, so Mike, you want to do the first question? <laughs> You're looking at me like you want me to ask him, what's your favorite curse word? Is that what you? That's the one. That's hey, the John. One. What's your favorite curse word? And don't worry, we're going to bleep it out. Fuck. That's number Beep. one on the list. Oops. You no. said it too fast. Darn it, we couldn't bloop, we couldn't bloop it. Okay. <laughs> it's it's the most useful curse word ever invented. You know, it's and my favorite. And I'll give you. I'll even give you my favorite phrase. Fuck them. <laughs> And forget the th too, just the apostrophe. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So we, we, another... we interviewed just, just real quick. We we interviewed Jerry Mathers, right? The Beave, and we thought he was going to say something like "fuck" or or "shit" or something. It, it was like "golly gee" or "a gosh darn yeah. it" or something, and it was so it was so funny. He that... got red in the face when he said that. Right. <laughs> he was great. Oh, God bless so him. God bless the beaver. So another question is, if you couldn't have been an actor, what else do you, do you think you would have wanted to do? I heard a, a guy, um, a, a jet fighter pilot, he was talking about, there's saying, he, he's talking about what would he do if he wasn't a jet fighter pilot? And he said, there's only four jobs in the world worth having. Jet fighter pilot, rock star, movie star and president of the United States. <laughs> I thought, well, that kind of narrows it down. But I think I think I would have loved to have been uh, either a radio DJ, which is kind of going away now, um, or a veterinarian. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, wow. I, I really I have two rescue animals here, which you can't see right now. But I, I, I'm a big animal lover and proponent. And I tell you, I can't, if I see anybody abusing an animal on the street, uh, people who know me will tell you, man, that John will just go insane. He will go ballistic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm sure I share that with a lot of people. Yeah, I, I don't know if you have seen the Reacher series on, uh, on Amazon in the first season, my wife and I binged it last night there's a recurring theme of Reacher seeing this dog being mistreated by this guy. And uh, let's just say he kind of takes him out. He takes after, him out. After yeah. multiple warnings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think. As I'm concerned, he had it coming, man. That's right. Yeah. He warned him. He warned him about taking you care of him. were warned. <laughs> uh, so another question uh, is, what advice, if you could go back in time, to your 20 or 25 year old self with all the knowledge that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, I think people say, trust your instincts uh, and believe in yourself. But I think trust, I wish I would have trusted my desires more. And, and that's something that I would like to impart to young people that I, I try to, impress upon young actors that I work with or young writers, anybody who has, especially people who have something creative. If this is something you really desire to do, then you need to listen to it and follow it. And 
I, you know, I can say I didn't really have that instilled into me. I, you know, I came from parents who came through the Great Depression and 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 a world war and had to make sacrifices for the practicality of life. And I know how to do that. Um, but I wish I had been taught and told that it's okay for me to have this desire because I probably would have written 10 of these by now. Yeah, I've always wanted to do this and I didn't trust my desire to do it. And um, in fact, the first screenplay I wrote called The Hard Easy began as a novel and I got about 50 pages into it and I told myself, no, I'm not good enough to do this yet. I could have done it, but I didn't. And I I would like to I would I would like to go back and tell John at 25, you have a real desire to sit down and write stories because I was inspired by the Stephen Kings and Elmore Leonard's and Raymond Chandler's of the world that if they could do it, why can't I? So I wish I could do that. I'd like well, to you be able to that's actually that's good advice for for Men are age. Because yeah. that's yes. one of yeah. the things that you regret sometimes, you know, when when you get to this age, it's like, you know, God, I always really wanted to do this. Why didn't I do it? You know, uh, that's kind of why Mike and I got back into doing what we're doing now, because it's something we wanted to do back then. We both wanted to be in the entertainment business in some manner. Uh and so I think for people our age that are thinking about, well, what am I going to do now? I just read, that's exactly it. Go back, talk to yourself, figure out what you would say. And if you would say, be confident, do what you're dreaming of, then that's what you can do now too, no matter what it might be. Uh, like mm -hmm. you can't be in the Olympics, you have to be realistic or something, but certainly a writing thing or, or you know, learning how to farm or, learn how to play the guitar, whatever it might be. Those are things that are still in reach that may have yeah. been passion before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, man, if you're still breathing, um, it's not too late. And, it, you know, I, yes, I wish I'd done this 30, 40 years ago, but I didn't. I did it now. And here it is. What is that? But what's it, what's it called? What's it's it called? called? Hollywood Hustle by John Lindstrom. So, yes, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. Um, talk to that 20 year old that's still inside you and give him permission to do that thing that you've always wanted. Because if man, if we can get across the room, then we can do it. And I, you know, I plead with all of you to do that for yourself, because you'll only do a favor for the universe if you do. Absolutely. Right. And we, you don't want to go into your 70s and 80s and hopefully 90s with any regrets. Exactly. Because right. that's where you get very depressed. Yeah. And you don't want to be depressed when you're there. You want to enjoy the rest of your life saying, I did it. I yeah. tackled yeah. everything that got in my way. And, you know, I was successful at some, and but I tried. And that's, and the, yeah. that's, and that's why Mike and I made the, that TV uh, pilot. Uh, we used our own money to, to make a show that we believed in. And we, we looked at it from what's the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario when we're 80 years old, shitting in our pants somewhere, we can, <laughs> we can go to YouTube or something and play it and say, Hey, we made that. We made that because that was our dream to do it. 
And so that's kind of how I look at everything now. It's like, what's the worst case scenario? Right. I'm not gonna kill somebody. I'm not going to rob. I'm not going to. What's the worst case scenario of trying something and not and not succeeding? Is is okay? Fine. I tried and it didn't work. Whatever. But I tried, and yeah. I think it's the same thing now. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, and somebody might maybe all that happens is somebody ten years from now sees that on YouTube and they get the idea, right? To take it on, you know. Well, you know what? It started with mm -hmm. you. If you hadn't done that, exactly. then you know, somebody has to think of it. It might as well be us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the book is. And I'm going to cover this. This is the advanced readers uh, sticker. You have uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot, John, for sending me one. <laughs> Hollywood Hustle. Dr. John Lindstrom. It's his first uh, uh, um, book that he's written. And it's amazing. Novel. It's a, thriller. It's a, a page turner in the, in the uh, style of like Robert Ludlum. Everybody knows those books, love those books. This is just like that. It's a page turner. You won't want to put it down and you're going to ask when's the movie coming out. So, uh, uh, John, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, John. Fascinating story, yeah. fascinating book. And we're looking forward to uh, volume two. I, I hope so. Me too. I think I'm going to try and bang it, bang out a few words before the football game starts. There you go. There you go. Good idea. Right. Thanks a <laughs> Thanks, lot, John. Man. Thanks so yeah, much. Thank you. Take care. Okay.